Hello and welcome to a special episode of Recovery Stories Have Power. My name is Oliver Books. On today's episode, we're joined by Philip Rutherford, former COO of Faces and Voices of Recovery. We spent some time chatting about Phil's history with Faces and Voices of Recovery and the growth and changes that he's seen in both the org and in the national conversation surrounding recovery. Without further ado, my conversation with Phil Rutherford. Well, I want to thank you, Phil, for joining me and sharing in this time of new beginnings and uh, fond farewells. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Um, I was just thinking the other day about my some of the first exposure that I had to Faces and Voices of Recovery, and that actually started prior to uh, me being an employee there. Uh, remember back in 2014, I think I attended my first. Uh, leadership summit, which it wasn't called that at that time, but uh, I attended that in Denver and uh, was just sort of, I was just sort of blown away. Like all of the things I, I was working on my own little uh, recovery Island here in Rochester <laughs> uh, doing, doing peer stuff. And I, I was super excited about all that, but I had no idea that it was more of a national thing. I knew that there were some people doing it, but I had no idea that it was as, uh, structured and as many people around the country doing the same kind of work. So it was, it was, that was a big deal to me to get to that. Sure. Sure. So I suppose I should say before we move through this, everyone knows who you are. I don't know if that's true. I, yeah, I mean, come on now. <laughs> oh, I, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm Phil Rutherford, uh, outgoing chief operating officer at faces and voices of recovery. And, um, just kind of reflecting back on, on, on my time at the, at the organization. Yeah. So, okay. So your first exposure to faces and voices was in Denver at, at, uh, an RLS pre pre RLS pre branding. Yeah. Right. Pre, pre band. <laughs> that's, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. That's a, <laughs> that's a pretty good description of, of what was going on there. It was pre, uh, pre branding and, and not that there wasn't, brand, there was branding in place at the time. Um, but it was different than kind of what we, what we see today. And, um, but that conference was all about learning. And I, I met some people there that were doing this in a much bigger way than we were doing it at the organization I was in, in Rochester. In that time in Denver, I heard whispers of the idea of tracking data around what was going in peer recovery supports. And that leaned in really nicely to what I knew about the world. Cause prior to my work in the recovery space, I spent a lot of time working in data. Uh, and it made sense to me that there should be data uh, kind of coincidentally right about that same time. I want to say that the next year, the surgeon general released a report on recovery and it was, it was groundbreaking. It was the first of its kind it was this big purple book and it had lots of information on treatment and recovery and substance use disorder. And there, there'd never been anything like that from a surgeon general. So I was really excited about it. And I got to the section on recovery. It was chapter five, I think. Yeah. And there were like, there wasn't a lot of information about recovery. <laughs> um, and it was, I mean, there was some, but it just, it seemed like compared to all the other stuff on treatment and prevention, there, there was a lot of information there. There wasn't a ton of information on recovery. And at one of the, they did like a road show to kind of introduce the book. At one of those sessions, I asked someone, well, what's, what gives here? Why is there no information on recovery? And they said, Phil, you have no data. Um, and I, 
I don't like that. I didn't like that. And it, it felt like a challenge. So, um, I got involved with, with some, some other folks in, inside of Arco and we started talking about, uh, a data project that would help people to gather information about the people coming into and out of recovery community organizations, because we, we knew anecdotally that something happened when people sat down with peers, but we didn't really have any uh, sort of codified data to prove that. Sure, sure. I can tell just from the tone of your voice that this is still something that is wildly energizing to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's so cool. Yeah. And so, and so RDP, right? Yeah. So, so, um, so I started, I had some conversations um, with Patty McCarthy, who's the CEO at Faces and Voices, and we talked about uh, a project. And so I started contracting with Faces and Voices to to see what we could do to put together a, a software platform that would work for Faces and Voices uh, and work for Arco. And we did that. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just me. There were, there were other leaders of recovery community organizations around the country weighing in on what we should do. And so we looked at plenty of sort of out of the box or off the shelf types of software and just came to the conclusion that none of that was going to work for us and that we needed something a little bit more customized. Off we go to RDP. Um, that went well. Somewhere in that process, um, Patty offered me a job at Faces and Voices. Sure. And uh, so I did that. So I started in 2017 and we launched RDP that same year and kind of went from there um and sort of immediately after that i started looking I, that's why i said pre-branding immediately after that i started looking at brand um and i had some questions about brand so we 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 moved shortly after launching rdp we started looking at what we could do to sort of elevate the faces of voices brand yeah. uh started on that project probably in 2018 uh and that launched in 2019 and just and then everything kind of, uh, I don't know. We got really busy. We got started getting attention from, from still true places. Yeah, still true. We're still busy there. <laughs> Shockingly, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, and it just like the the I think something else that was happening too. Unfortunately, the opioid crisis was stewing and bubbling, so more and more people were progressively dying. But yeah. we're also having a lot more just attention to the recovery space. And I, I don't, I don't think that's only, that's not only about faces and voices. It's just about the national dialogue around what do we do to stop the scourge, to right. stop the, we got to stop the death. Um, I don't, I don't know that we've, how effective we've been because the uh, fatal drug poisoning numbers are, are bad. And, and we, we, we see a, an uptick and we see upticks in, specific demographics um that that just that indicate that we're we might be addressing the problem in some places we're not addressing it everywhere yeah yeah that's that's i mean that's been that's been so clear and what i've noticed in my time here is a wildly accepting philosophy on any pathway to get folks better or get folks well um i'm i'm curious from from 2017 to 2023, in the midst of the opioid epidemic, you've mentioned a national kind of shift and opening in a dialogue. Um, what what does that what does that mean to you? What does that look like? And and how have you seen sort of the the conversation around these fatal drug poisonings well, change and grow? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with my own um, my own experience in that because I 
um, as a, a mutual aid person, I started with a very specific, very sort of myopic understanding of what recovery was and what people needed to do to achieve recovery. Um, and one of the blessings, one of the things that, that I will, will treasure uh, about my experience with Faces and Voices is that I got the opportunity to see a multitude of ways that people find wellness uh, from substance use disorder. And it not just the pathway that I had, but lots of different ones. And so the, re the reason I started there is that this concept of multiple pathways to and of recovery, uh, I think even extends beyond that multiple pathways to and of wellness. Sure. And my observation has been that over the past six years, seven years, uh, 10 years even, that the the world in general has become a little bit more accepting of those different pathways. And I think it's probably, that has probably saved lives in a way that we can't, we can't really, you can't really count someone that didn't die or that didn't suffer as a result of it. But I think that's been a very positive thing. Um, I think in general, the, the philosophy of uh, a recovery community organization or a recovery centered organization the idea that any any pathway to recovery is good enough i think that has been that has been instrumental in in helping a lot of people yeah. kind of find find relief yeah cuz ultimately that's I, I won't speak for everyone, but ultimately, I think that's what most people are looking for is some measure of relief. That's certainly what I was looking for. Was <laughs> same kind of relief. Same. Absolutely. Uh, so so I, that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who's been in, in this space for, you know, a little while, it's been so energizing to see different people from all over just looking at the best way to do this thing, the best way to provide help to people. Um, talking to people who have wildly different perspectives than I do. And that's that's fantastic and frustrating and wonderful and all of the things, right? Yeah, moving a little bit closer to home from the, the national conversation um, and just your personal interaction in Faces and Voices. What's your favorite part? What what have you loved about working at Faces and Voices? Why? What kept you there for so long? Uh, a couple things. I So I really liked watching stuff that I had sort of an initial role in watching that grow and develop and, sure. and mature the people too. I mean, you, 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 you really develop, I developed some deep and meaningful friendships with, with the people that, that work at faces and voices and, and those, and, and those relationships exist today. So it's not, uh, nothing has changed with that. I really, um, when I think about the things that really sort of got me out of bed in the morning, um, as we matured and started to develop, we started getting invited to policy discussions and, um, and I know you said getting away from national, but we started getting <laughs> involved in policy discussions that previously we were not invited to. Sure. And like places where in 2019, they're, they're kind of like, who the hell are these guys in 2022? They're like, could you come and talk? Could you come and share with us what your experience is? And, and just that, wow. that shift over a period of time. Um, I, I would like to think that is about the work that we were doing out in the, out in the field and people sort of respecting that work and, and inviting us in. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. It, it reminds me of a story that you told me, uh, 
maybe your first time speaking at the White House about how you had stayed in a certain hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the the short version, uh, the short uh, PG version of that story <laughs> is that I I spoke. I was invited to speak at the White House and. Um, was very honored, obviously. I mean, this is a great thing. And I, I, I went to, to get there and I got checked into the hotel and so, there was something wrong with the reservation. So it was a bit, it didn't work exactly the way it was supposed to. And I was a little whiny about it. And I got situated in the hotel. And once I was situated there, it dawned on me that I had been in that same hotel 20 plus years before, not well, and not going to speak at the White House and not, um, I think I was there for a work thing it's back when I was in private sector, but I was not very well at all and um, just lost. Right. And so, like, I had that kind of sort of flashback thing, like, oh, my gosh, um, my, my life is so much different now. And, and, and it was just it was it was just it was it was interesting to to kind of relive that uh, negative experience and reflect on the fact that I was going to the white house to talk about relief from the very problem that was, that was killing me 20 years before. Yeah. Well, you know, in it, that's the title of, of the podcast recovery stories have power. I mean, like there's, there's not a whole lot that's more powerful than, than a moment in time, two moments in time that mirror each other. So yeah, perfectly. Yeah. I had another, uh, just kind of out of body experience in DC there uh, at our last Hill day where I was in with a rep and it's not relevant who that rep was, but I was in with a rep and during, and then this rep is absolutely committed to recovery. And, and during the meeting, they got a call from a, a family friend and that family friend's kid was experiencing some, some trouble and they were in a, a, a part of Philadelphia called Kensington, which oh, if yep. any of our listeners know about Kensington, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a recreation. It's not a, it's not a vacation spot in Shout Pennsylvania. Shout out to the Savage Sisters. Yes. Doing a lot of good work there. Absolutely. And the Savage Sisters are part of the story because yeah. I, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the meeting. We're doing the Hill visit kind of stuff, yeah. you know, like us, you know, here's our policy stuff. So I'd met with a member before and they knew that I was in recovery. And so the the member asked everyone else in the room to to leave and said, Hey, I, I've got this this family friend um and their kid is on the phone. Would you talk to him? So I was able to I was able to do again in mutual aid parlance, um a 12 step call or a recovery focused call in a member's office on Capitol Hill. And again, I, I just, just in terms of stuff that you don't expect wow. uh, on, a, wow. on a Hill day, <laughs> um, I was able to, to have a conversation with this person and not really about any particular methodology of recovery. Cause that's not where I, I, I don't really talk to people about that anymore. I talk to people about mm. what, what they want to do. Um, and as a result of that conversation, that that person was able to get uh, transported to treatment and get some help. And I, I have no idea how they're doing today. And that's not really the point of the story. It's just like the, the opportunities that have come my way as a result of being engaged with Faces and Voices and, and doing this work have been incredible. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> it's, 
A lot different than the basement, I tell you. Yes, yes, very different, <laughs> very different than looking out the window of a basement. Yeah, yeah. It never ceases to, like, you hear stories like that in these spaces, and like all of the speakers at, at, at these conferences and these events that, that we hold, and every single one is so wildly different and so inspirational, and there's just so much to to this wellness thing. Yeah. and. They all have different pathways. They all have different outcomes. They all have different goals. I remember you telling me, gosh, some years ago, probably at this point, that it's it's a change in direction. Like like recovery is just a change in direction um, or trajectory. I think was the word you used. That that does sound like I do. I do talk about trajectory a good bit, and that's 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 what it's been for me. My my life was heading one way, and recovery uh, changed that. Uh, rather dramatically, uh, so the trajectory looks looks much different. And just in at a very basic level, uh, for something I'm involved with uh, currently, um, I had to do a background check. Sure. And in my earlier days, that was the first of all that was a deal breaker, <laughs> right? That it's was cold a, sweat. <laughs> that, was, that was a deal breaker. That meant that that meant that something wasn't going to happen. If I had to do a background check for something, it wasn't going to happen. But yeah. as a result of of um, my recovery and wellness journey, that's no longer a problem for me. And mm-hmm. just and so I got I got the the like there in in Minnesota at least you get two different things. You get a a pink paper, a green paper, or a white paper, and that's that's mm-hmm. what determines your thing. And so, and I'd done this before a long time ago, and I got the pink paper, which means pink is like it's not red, but it means like yes. slow your roll here. It's like, not not red. Yeah, it's not not red. It's like <laughs> let's hold on a minute. Um, and the green paper means maybe, but just also just we're gonna see. And then the white mm-hmm. paper means you're you're good. And, sure. and so, just the other day, I got the thing. So your background's clear. We're, let's go. Ah. And even that, just I, I, and 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 again, some of. It's it's more complex then. It's not like my background disappeared. What happened is, as a result of some policy advocacy here in Minnesota, we have statutory expungement. Sure. Um, a, a gentleman, a lawyer in the cities, who kind of spearheaded that um, back when, and I was working with him back when I didn't even really know anything about policy. But mm-hmm. that legislation makes opportunity. That policy work made opportunity for me and a whole bunch of other people who for years and years have been living the right way, but were, were previously impacted by, by rules that, that didn't allow for, for a change in behavior. Wow. And that's yeah. what I've had over the past 20 some years is a change in behavior. Sure. Sure. So, of course. That of course. trajectory. <laughs> yeah. So, right, right. 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 Wow. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, post faces and voices. I, I have a sneaking suspicion. You're going to be up to some, uh, some big things. I was thinking maybe uh, some landscaping or no, and actually I have done some landscaping. I'm not, I'm not in any way saying anything negative about landscaping. It's good. It's good work if you can get it. And, yeah. and certainly uh, far fewer headaches in it. Um, but a lot yeah. less email. Yeah. A lot, lot less email. Um, so no, I'm um, I've accepted a role with the national council for mental wellbeing as the substance use strategy lead. Uh, so my, my purview there will be uh, the continuum of substance use efforts by the National Council. So prevention, treatment, recovery, harm reduction, all, all of those things and kind of a policy view of that. So it's it's something I uh, I have t- trained for, I guess. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say. So, so your 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 friends and associates will be pleased to know that you're still kind of in the space. I'm still in the space. Uh, someone told me as I was uh, kind of talking to people at Faces and Voices, they said, "I can't imagine you're going far," and uh, <laughs> I, I guess I haven't. Uh, in fact, I think I, I think the office, the National Council office, is not that far from the Faces and Voices office in D.C. So, I really just moved a couple blocks. <laughs> The more things change, the more they stay the same, maybe. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for, for hanging out with us and, and, and just reflecting on, on your time in Faces and Voices. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we're very grateful that you did what you did for our org. I think there's there's been a lot of really amazing growth and change nationally in recovery, of course, but but also in this little little pocket of advocacy that yep. that we're doing and uh thanks in no small part to you so on on behalf of faces and voices and and all of us here thank you thank you well i i appreciate it um you're welcome someone told me because i have a tendency to want to say well it wasn't really me and i didn't that so <laughs> that and that uh I've, my my recovery mentors tell me when someone gives you a compliment say thank you and you're welcome and i i am doing that um, I also know that there are plenty of people at Faces and Voices have, that have put in countless hours just like me and making it successful. And I, pre I appreciate you and I appreciate them as well. A very big thank you to Philip Rutherford for joining us on this bonus episode of Recovery Stories Have Power. Season two of Recovery Stories Have Power is coming soon. We're very excited. We have some incredible guests on the docket. And we have some new hosts. We'll do an introductory episode on January 25th, where you'll get to know Tyler Brandon and Psalm Bingham. Then we'll start releasing episodes twice a month, beginning on February 1st. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. This podcast is produced and engineered by me, Oliver Books, co-produced by our wonderful team at Faces and Voices of Recovery. Special thank you to Chris Tate and our friends at Passenger Recovery for use of this song, Come On Home. Technical support and website development by Chris Aram. If you have any comments or feedback, send us an email at podcast at facesandvoicesofrecovery.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.